Hello and welcome back to The Accommodation Show. We help accommodation owners like you get the knowledge and skills that you need to grow your business, improve your guest experience and increase your profitability. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm excited to bring you this week's episode with Michael Lee. Now it's been a year since we started our first lockdowns because of COVID. For accommodation owners, it's been a ceaseless test of resilience and adapting to the new normal is what we've all had to do. We've been faced with closures, temporary or otherwise low guest occupancy, negative revenue, and we've had to make our teams more lean. Our guest today is Michael Lee, who's the owner and managing director of the Brighton Savoy Hotel. It's a 60 room beachside hotel in Brighton, Victoria. They specialize in weddings and corporate events. In this episode, Michael narrates his unique account on how he and his team have operated their hotel during the pandemic. The impact of the pandemic had on them and the how it still continues to impact their business today. The best parts to listen for are the creative ways he and his team have dealt with the numerous challenges during this period and his successful reopening strategies. Folks, this podcast is a must listen to for all of those planning to reopen their properties or that have been affected by lockdowns or just if you're unsure of your plans over the next six to 12 months, there are loads of gems in there. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, hi everybody, and welcome back to the Accommodation Show. I'm super excited to welcome Michael Lee to the show. Michael runs the Brighton Savoy. He's been in the industry for a long time. We're gonna be talking off with uh, about the trials and tribulations of COVID. Um, he's a wealth of information. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hi, Bart, lovely to be here with you. Beautiful. Look, uh, I think it's only appropriate to start off with uh, a bit of your background and your story. And then what I'd like to do is kind of progress into who you guys are, what you run, what you manage, and then we'll kind of go through the story and, and hopefully leave people with some few uh, tips and tricks on, on what they can do right now if they're currently in COVID or coming out of COVID in the long run. But starting off, tell me a bit about yourself. Okay, so I've been in the industry since the age of 14. And um, I studied hospitality and catering at William Angles College here in Melbourne. And I also studied a Bachelor of Business in Banking and Finance at Monash University. Um, my family owned and operated the hotel for the last 53 years. And I took over in about 1987 um, at the tender age of 17. Um, and basically we have grown and expanded the hotel. Um, the Brighton Savoy actually has been around since 1952 and we were very much a personality driven hotel in the 50s and 60s for some of the first TV stars in Melbourne and the second TV Logie Awards were held um, here at the hotel and for those of you who might remember Sabrina the model in the 60s um, she was known for two very large assets and she disappeared from the hotel she was staying at in the city right. and she ended up checking in here at the hotel and people still walk in t today and tell me they were here the day Sabrina was here 
when there were 10,000 people around the hotel all trying to get a glimpse at her, at her and perhaps her assets. Um, so we're a 60-room property now and we have five event and conference spaces. Um, we also have a restaurant which is open um, currently open nightly for dinner, um, closed for breakfast at the moment due to COVID. Um, we specialise predominantly in business to business and also corporate conferencing, training and events. And we host in our heyday over 280 to 300 weddings a year. Um, so we are heavily event and corporate orientated. Um, being located on the beach in Brighton, um, we have fantastic views of the bay. Um, but we've never really seen ourselves as a leisure property. However, we kind of stumbled into leisure um, during the GFC, um, during the uh, sort of the crash we used to have, we had to have in 2008. And with the introduction of the daily deal sites um, of Groupon and Scoopon, um, we sold 694 room nights in 24 hours. Um, which was over $160,000 worth of revenue in 2008 dollars, um, which showed us and convinced us that, yes, we could be a leisure property. And since that period, we've really been trying to change and in, change the business mix to incorporate more leisure. Um, and that actually has come in very handy um, for the last sort of six months or so. Um, so Basically, what the most frustrating thing for me over this whole almost last 12 months of COVID period is that in the four to five months leading up to COVID, the hotel was performing at its best um, ever um, in terms of occupancy, in terms of average daily rate, in terms of wedding sales and food and beverage numbers. And we were absolutely booming so, now, so life was life was wonderful life was wonderful um and as it turned out as a result of that um when we took the decision to close the hotel um we were we were in a strong cash flow position um which allowed us to make some decisions um and all because we do own the property um although land tax is a massive issue for the hotel um, our land tax bill is over two hundred and forty thousand dollars a year um, which equates to just under five thousand dollars a week and the state government really hasn't come to the party in relation to land tax to what i feel is a sufficient level um, and just to tick it all off we've just got our bill for next year so um, these are serious issues confronting us um, for the future, but I guess we're here to talk about our COVID story. And when we think way back, um, back to early to mid-March, something was going on. Um, we were all seeing the reports from overseas. Um, we took the decision on the 12th of March to cease all of the food and beverage offerings at the hotel and only to offer accommodation only. Was that, um, was that government mandated at that stage? No, this was our. We were responding to can, booking cancellations, um, and 
we, we lost over a thousand bookings in about an eight day period mm-hmm. um, between about the 12th of March to when we finally took the decision on the 25th of March that there was no point being open. Um, there was the option to become a property for emergency um, use, but because of the nature of our business with the heavy reliance or heavy weighting towards food and beverage, um, it really didn't justify us um, staying open. The demand wasn't there. You would have needed two or 300 rooms or something like that for, to, for the math to stack up. Yeah, look, we literally had one room. On the last day we closed, we had two guests in the hotel and we just couldn't justify um, staying open. So, so just, um, just before we go into sort of that, what happened next, I'd really love to understand the profile of your traveler at that stage. So what percentage was international? What percentage was Melbourne-based? What percentage was uh, interstate? Do, do, yeah, what was the mix like? We're predominantly um, in the corporate market. It's probably about 75% interstate um, and maybe 25% international. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just remember there was a lot of fear. Like the requirements were that there was before hotel quarantine in that early stages, there was an obligation to self quarantine if you came into the international. And two of our staff heard one of the guests who was allegedly planning to self-isolate at the hotel uh, about what his definition of self-isolation was. And that incorporated him going up to the shops and him going here and there. And uh, two of my staff came to me with, and you've got to set your mindset, the fear of the unknown. We didn't know what the impact of this virus was going to be. And um, I had to have a chat to the guests and suggest he might be better off staying in a service department where he could um, isolate correctly and um, we relocated him to uh, a property which could handle his needs mm-hmm. in a lot better way. But it was the fear of the staff, of our team, and which I had to take really seriously. Um, also, at the stage, um, my father, um, who was 86 at the time, um, well, I had to think of him as well as he was um, undergoing medical treatment and I didn't want to be pass anything on to him. Um, so we really had to lock everything down, um, predominantly through no demand. Um, but also there's a few things we'd been wanting to do at the hotel. Um, so we decided to announce a three-month refurb- um, closure for refurbishment and we were able to communicate with all of our staff and Many of our staff have been with us for a long time and were owed um, leave entitlements, hotel holiday pay, uh, long service leave entitlements. And we agreed to cover all of our staff um, for three months um, while we closed. That Uh, that was in March at that stage. So just just to go back one step again, so what you said was that most of your uh, guests before COVID, you were reliant on interstate and international travelers more than anything else. So if I said guys coming or guests coming from Melbourne, you'd say, ah, not, not many, but that really wasn't our, uh, the, the focus of our business at that particular moment. Look, that would sort of encapsulate our sort of Monday to Thursday business, but um, our sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday demand 
uh, is predominantly from people attending weddings and events in the area. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably about eight or nine event venues with sort of within five to six kilometres of the hotel, or they would have been um, attending events here at the hotel. So we have sort of two sort of distinct markets, um, Monday to Thursday, and then the weekend market as well. And again, March is the busiest wedding month of the year. Um, so obviously we were hosting weddings um, and also there's a lot of events going on in the area as well. Okay, so then, so three months shut down, so March, April, May, June-ish sort of time. Obviously, we, we jumped into the next lockdown around then, so then you would have had to extend things, and that was probably just an ongoing process until until when? Okay, so within the three months, um, I'd always wanted to upgrade the hotel lift. It was due for um, a refurbishment, and I by chance, I had proposals already on my desk uh, which I received in sort of in February. Um, so I was able to give the go-ahead for the lift refurbishment, which was meant to take 10 weeks. Um, it ended up taking about 20 weeks, but as it turned out, it didn't matter as we were closed. Um, we were also able to upgrade a lot of the bar areas. Um, the front desk we upgraded. The whole building ended up getting a whole fresh paint coat of paint. And we used the opportunity um, where we could to upgrade as many of the um, facilities within the hotel, which particularly things that we could do, uh, when which made it a lot easier when there were no guests. Mm. Um, one of the things which made everything a lot easier is the introduction of JobKeeper. Mm. Um, because for those first six to seven weeks, there were three of us in the hotel, running the whole hotel. Um, we, we had someone move into the hotel to sort of, to sort of act as a sort of 24-hour security. Um, and we only had phone access between 12 to 6, uh, Monday to Friday, and the rest of the communication was email. So there were three of us just literally running the hotel, dealing with all the issues, cancellations, refund requests, deposits, angry brides, um, upset brides, um, some understanding brides. Um, so it was a very intense period. Um, and once JobKeeper came along, um, we were able to slowly bring back um, some of our team. The three priorities during the lockdown was security, uh, cleanliness, um, and maintenance. Um, and also being accessible to our clients in a new, either through email or through limited hours. Um, and they were the criteria which I set down to everyone um, which kept us in good stead because a number of things happened. Uh, we had cool We were continuing monitoring of our cool rooms and freezers that we were operating. Um, there were sewage blockages. Um, there were cool room compressors blowing up. Everything happened in lockdown. And unless we were had implemented the system of regular floor walks, regu regular temperature checks twice daily of all cool rooms, freezers, um, general cleanliness um, because we didn't know when we were going to reopen um, but whenever that was going to be I wanted to be ready for it and one of the goals with our staff during this lockdown was to keep them all together communicate um, and I think it's to our credit that we didn't lose one staff member 
um, within the eight month lockdown. Um, everyone who was on our books uh, came back on board um, and that was to co uh, continuous communication, creating um, WhatsApp chat groups, um, updating the staff um, and really trying to keep our team together. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So WhatsApp was the main way of communicating between everyone. Uh, I imagine email as well with sort of updates. Is there any other tips that you've got in terms of uh, keeping that morale high and, and keeping your team engaged? Look, the, the amount of fear that there was in the early stages was a real issue to overcome because nobody knew what we were dealing with. Um, so even with the hotel closed, we had staff members who had concerns coming into the building, um, even though we were pretty much locked down. And they were all valid concerns. Um, but it was about confidence and we needed to really advise that look, we have been running this hotel for 53 years and that we were in a position to continue for at least another 53 years and that we were here for the long term and that everyone's job was secure. And again, once JobKeeper came along, we were able to cover um, the payments for till we reopened in November. And it's about authentic relationships and honesty because the information that was being put out there in the public, whether it be from the Victorian government or the federal government, we were hearing it at exactly the same time as our team were as our customers were and of course our customers were ready to jump on the minute there was an announcement everyone just jumps and people in this world of instant gratification whether it be through instagram or facebook or uh, the reality is when a major policy decision is advised from the government hey we need some time here to filter it process it um, adopt an attitude towards it and then create a public um, face towards it and the pressure to come up with this information so quickly was quite really challenging and um, because it's like, hang on, we, we're all running at our optimum capacity. Um, we are negotiating with suppliers, we're negotiating with utility companies, we're negotiating with our banks. Um, we are trying to get um, payment extensions or we're trying to get um, hibernation on some of our service agreements and what we found is that every single person or company or organization and even the major ones to, to my surprise all came to the party mm. um, e even United Energy who I fought with for eight months um, who would not give an inch um, eventually when we had to reopen all of a sudden we had to crystallize all these relationships with these suppliers um, and eight months after speaking to them every month communicating them what we're going what's going on I literally turned off every piece of power and gas equipment in the building that we didn't need consolidated everything to one little cool room and one freezer uh, and we managed to reduce our electricity consumption by over 72 percent so the majority of our bills that we were accruing per month were network charges and fees so anyway 
push comes to shove, we ended up getting a 50% reduction on our electricity bill for the eight months we were closed, mm-hmm. which I thought was a great achievement. Um, our gas supplier also came to the party. Um, our meat supplier, we also made a, we, we negotiated an outcome. And one of the reasons every supplier came to the party is because of our relationships with suppliers and we don't churn. Um, we had been using our meat supplier for 30 years. Um, our food dry goods supplier, we'd been using them for 25 years. Um, our photocopy company, we'd, we'd been having a relationship with them for 16 years. So when it came to negotiating some level of discount, uh, we actually had a position of strength that we were a loyal customer, we don't give them grief, and we're actually coming to them um, because we actually have had no revenue or negative revenue for eight months. Um, and the one thing we've, we've taken or I've taken away from this whole experience is relationships are so important. Now, you want to make sure that you're getting the best deal and you want to keep your suppliers honest, but if you develop strong relationships, you do get looked after in the in the long run. Um, but it was about communicating and not putting our head in the sand. We tried to get ahead of the curve in every single situation to be open with communication to avoid things coming to a head. And on that aspect, things actually went pretty smoothly. But again, I'm coming from a, a business with 53 years of runs on the board, and this may not be the same case for everyone, but the key is if you're developing relationships, um, work on them, value them, because you never know when they'll come come in handy. So, and on that actually, so now we're in a position where we're opening and I know that uh, some of our listeners will be in lockdown at the moment, some of our listeners will be out of lockdown. Uh, who knows by the time this show airs, we, we might all be in lockdown once again. Like we, we don't really know and there's no real certainty for until until you know the, hopefully the vaccines work the way that, that we're being told they will and, and everything will be better um have you is there a plan is there a plan for 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 hey if it, it all goes bad are you looking at things differently in the way that you manage your cash flow and the way that you do things are you just holding back a little bit uh, those relationships what where are you at in terms of uh, your appetite for risk versus reward right now Okay, so very early on in in lockdown, uh, the first call we made was to our bankers and to have open and honest discussions with where we felt we were at. And I felt it would be appropriate to try and source some additional funds, um, not only to cover some of the refurbishment and the lift upgrade and a few other things we did, but to secure six months cash flow. Mm -hmm. Um, because at that stage we didn't know how long it would last and I'm very glad we got in really early because it took four months to get approval for additional funding Um, and the good news is we have that additional funding but we haven't touched it yet. Wait, wait. four months for them to approve it. Was there any anything that we can learn from from that because that seems extreme especially when you're under duress and you, you, need, well, you need to know what you're going to do because without that you, you're kind of hamstrung for four months just like 
well, we could do the lift, we might not do the lift. If we start the lift, the money doesn't come through and you just keep yourself up at night, not really being able to, to run things effectively. And I guess that was the, the whole story of COVID, but, but four months is a long time. Uh. Look, we were shocked. Um, we knew the banks were all working sort of remotely. Everything was taken, and we were getting the feedback, everything was taking four times longer than normal. Yeah. By the time this pay, the security department got this and then someone emailed something to someone else and then a lot of them were only working two days a week because they were all stood down taking annual leave. And securing the funds was not an issue. Um, our gearing and everything, uh, it was just the just how long it took. Um, and as I, as I mentioned earlier, we were very lucky that we had a very strong four or five months in the lead-up to closing um, that we could fund that period. But it was the unknown I was trying to secure and to give us, which gave us confidence to do a lot of other things to, within the hotel. But pre-COVID, um, I think I mentioned to you offline, uh, we commenced a program called Design to Thrive, um, which is a state government sponsored consulting program which was a, meant to be a year-long program reviewing our business and analysing our business, assessing our markets, um, talking about our values, talking about our principles, talk, uh, engaging all of our management team. And we were halfway through this and a lot of the things which came from the program put us in really good stead to ride through COVID. Um, the first was, was really defining what the values of the hotel were. Um, and if we knew what our values were, which was that we are, we treat everyone in our hotel as part of our family. And we really wanted to make sure that that um, shone through within this period. Um, also, we looked at our markets, um, we looked at our branding, um, and we really um, looked at um, what the opportunities for our business. And leisure was one of the big opportunities which came up as part of the review. And we'd really started to sort of modify our website. Um, and we also had three pieces of really good luck um, during lockdown. Um, I'm not sure if anyone knows Karen of Instagram or Karen of Brighton. <laughs> so Karen of Brighton was interviewed. How, how is um, she getting in on this podcast, huh? <laughs> so... Um, Karen of Brighton was filmed on the Channel 9 News walking around the tan complaining that she'd done all of Brighton and she's become a bit of a local set celebrity. So it put a bit of focus on Brighton. Also, um, the TV show The Block um, was filming in Brighton. So effectively, the, the loca our location had three to four months of national coverage all around Australia. Um, and obviously, we got those beautiful shots of the sunrise over the bay, the Brighton beach boxes, the Moodle Brighton baths. So that was putting Brighton front and centre um, in front of most of the marketplace. Um, and the other advantage is we were all locked down. So in terms of a destination, Brighton as a leisure venue, there's actually so much you can do in Brighton. And whether it's promoting the 10 or 11 things you can do in Brighton on a blog that I created, 
And ultimately, if the couple sit in their room and watch Foxtel all day or decide to undertake those issues, it doesn't really matter. But our goal is to get them to, to convince people that a one or two day or three day stay overlooking the water in Brighton um, is a cool thing to do. And with being locked down or having a, dis a 25 kilometer distance um, blocked and then all of a sudden when rural opened up, uh, a lot of people were struggling to get bookings in sort of the rural location. So we became a very good second choice. Um, so when we did open up, it was predominantly all leisure. And there were customers that we had demographics and customers we'd never seen before. Um, they were potentially living within 10 to 15, 20K of the hotel in coming to the beach. Fresh air was obviously the key. Um, we, di we don't have, we're hearing a lot of feedback. People didn't want to go into buildings with high floors because they didn't want this whole thing about using lifts yeah. um, and just enjoying the space. Mm. And um, obviously when we reopened in November, we sort of, my cr initial criteria for reopening was that all interstate borders had to be open. But unfortunately, as we got to sort of the first week in November, we were all rearing to go. And I said, look, let's just take a punt. Let's just open. And we opened with three rooms. And then gradually, in the first 10 days, we went to six rooms. Um, and then before we knew it, we were full on uh, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Um, and basically, um, we've achieved about 60% occupancy since we've reopened, which considering we've had no conferencing and no business to business, no corporate travel, we've literally built up a reasonable leisure business. Um, and the reasons for that are predominantly that we had all of our Hotel 101 things covered. Um, I worked, we've worked really hard on optimization of our website. Uh, we run branded Google ads. We run hotel ads through Google as well. We really upped our photography. Um, Pre-lockdown, we'd redid all our photography for all of our guest rooms. We reviewed all of our profiles on all of the third-party OTAs. Um, and we really, we were in such a good position pre-COVID and everything was working. So we had to go back to basics and follow the simple rules of, of running a property in a hotel. It, is, it hasn't been rocket science. We just needed to make sure that we had the basics covered. We really re-educated our front desk team on giving exquisite welcomes. Um, we really focused on welcome to Brighton rather than welcome to the Brighton Savoy, which was part of our pitch, and really asking people how familiar they were with the area. Would they like some information on things to do? Um, obviously, we were COVID safe. Um, we had um, little COVID safe packs available for sale, which includes masks, sanitizers, and wipes. And ironically, I prepped 50 packs thinking that people would be concerned about staying in a hotel, and we literally only sold three. So it, it displayed that the people who were willing to travel throughout that period were not overly concerned about COVID. Because um, if you were concerned about COVID, 
you, get you wouldn't be traveling. Yeah, and and I think I think that a lot of it is also the perception that you guys care, right? And you create that perception through through showing visual cues throughout, uh, be it through signage, be it through packs like that, and actually saying, hey, we do care enough to to give you these options if you do want them. But how people actually respond to them is up to them. Hey, uh, Michael, I'm gonna start to wrap it up because we're running um, we're running into half an hour. Um, and I think this is uh, this is amazing, and I, I really appreciate the fact that you've got some really big key takeaways that I think people can have. And I think that for me, what's important is now is you've got these experiences that we had in the past year, and it's all all over the place. And I think you you were very aware, aware as well as I am that we don't really know what we're going to approach in the future. The three key takeaways that I have is cash flow is king. So you've got that buffer, you've got that six months or whatever it might be. If you need to go to the bank and talk to them, just to give yourself peace of mind to be able to plan. The second one was your staffing is keeping them uh, engaged and on board and make sure that, that they're there when you need them. Um, and conversely, if things go bad again, you're going to have to have a strategy around that. And the third key takeaway are relationships. So the relationships with your suppliers, local businesses, and that sort of thing to make sure that you look after them because then they can look after you when you get into trouble. Um, so they're all, I didn't expect to get these, but they're, they're absolute gold and they're, they'll make me actually go back and relook at some of these things and make sure that all those things are in place because once you've got them in place, you can breathe a bit easier and and sort of work on your business and and get the, the fun stuff out of it rather than just worrying about things is there anything that i missed yeah there's one thing i haven't mentioned is our relationship with our guests okay and uh, one of the things which was really important was to communicate with our guests throughout this period and we used a multi-platform strategy um linkedin Instagram, Facebook, um, email marketing. And we were sending different messages to different platforms. And the first thing I did was create, um, I reached out to our database because um, I cr was creating an archive of all weddings and functions um, that had taken place at the hotel going back for 50 years. So I started this project and I reached out to the database to say, look, I'm in lockdown, I'm bored, stupid, dealing with all the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, I'd love to reach out to get any content. And I received some amazing stuff. Um, um, a wonderful um, guest or bride from 1970 went out and got her reel-to-reel -reel wedding video at the Brighton Savoy, converted to digital just for us, um, and forwarded us a copy of her her wedding from 50 years ago. We got photos galore. Um, and that was the first part of our strategy to connect with guests during lockdown. Um, and then, of course, that gave me so much content to share for the following sort of couple of months. Every few days, I would post a vintage wedding photo. Um, I also found I got sent invoices from weddings from 1967. So I was posting... Um, and some of the posts got 20,000 views on LinkedIn because um, everyone was in lockdown and bored and the week, they, they could be triggered by any a little bit of something a little bit mm. outside the norm. Um, also, we were letting, after the initial three months of renovations, we then obviously had to have some spin as to why we weren't open. The bottom line is by then everyone was in lockdown. 
So it was just a matter of reaching out um, by email every four or five weeks, just saying hello, um, posting regularly on um, Instagram because and Facebook. It was about confidence. We were holding a lot of people's deposits um, for both weddings and accommodation, which we said we would credit, and we had to continue to provide confidence that we would reopen because mm. I was never in doubt that we would reopen, but we had to make sure that in the marketplace the confidence towards our customers was so important because the good news is the minute we reopened, we were starting to hear from all of our previous customers um, who were grateful that we were back and they were grateful that they could stay with us. So the relationship with the customers, um, and it was, it was quite easy to achieve, but we had to be authentic, authentic and, authentic and honest. Um, my father passed away in August um, and he was a dialysis patient who, and he decided to stop his treatment. Mm -hmm. And we announced um, it to our customers that our father had decided to do that. And the amount of feedback we got about the bravery and the honesty to announce such a decision publicly, um, but we thought it was really important to let everyone into our lives because we were in lockdown, we were having our own challenges and it wasn't fun. There were lots of internal personal issues, family issues, uh, which were all going down. But time. we thought if we open up what's really going on, um, we're showing our authentic true selves. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a really um, beneficial thing to do. Um, and the feedback we got was just amazing. And yeah, I think it's it's so important to, to to create that connection without a kind of an ulterior motive either. You know, you you guys wouldn't make that kind of announcement had it not been to, to show vulnerability, to show yourself. It is another topic that I, I wanted to cover with you is vulnerability in the whole in, in the whole pandemic. But that's not for today, unfortunately. Um, but thank you for sharing with us, actually, that that would have been uh, quite um, momentous for you, I imagine, and, and quite difficult as well. So thanks. Not a problem. Um, Michael, uh, okay, we got so much. We got so, so much. Uh, is there anything that we can do for you as a community? Look, if you're enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying um, listening to what I'm talking about, um, jump onto the Brighton Savoy website. Uh, jump, on, jump onto Google. We'd love a five-star review that you've heard me talk and you think I'm either really bad or really good. Um, it just makes because five stars. about social proof. Um, join, follow us on Instagram. Like us on uh, Facebook. Um, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. But we all know social proof in these difficult times. We are really controlled by large organisations who are far bigger than all of us together. And the industry together has to band together to support each other because it's the only way we're going to survive the OTA wars, the Google war, the Facebook war, the, the inauthentic review war where someone decides to give you a one out of 10 because they didn't like the picture on booking.com because it showed a different room to what they booked or and no a, one told them. Or a revenge posts, right? The revenge posts. So. Um, yeah, anything you can do to support the Brighton Savoy, I'd be, me and my family would be greatly appreciative. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for your time, Michael. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining our Facebook community as well and adding value. Thanks for connecting with me and supporting me 
in supporting you guys to get us all a bit further down the down the path and working together. It means an awful lot. Um, thanks for everyone that's listened. We will catch you next week for another show. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can find us at theaccommodationshow.com where you can find all the show notes, links to resources we have talked about, and transcripts from the show. I really do appreciate you listening. And if you'd like to support the show, then please subscribe, leave a comment, and share it with others.